0: you are listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 39, and today we are talking about books released on February 2nd, 2016. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow L. Redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Let the confetti cannons loose! Yay! It's February 2nd! It's so exciting, I can't believe it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. It's really here!
1: We have been waiting for this day. You have not had to eat James Patterson. No, I will not have to eat James Patterson. I think we just have to cut the banter and go right to the big event.
0: Yes! Today is the release of The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chee. Woohoo! So excited! And yes, I, I think it was several months ago I did say that if this novel didn't do well, I would eat James Patterson. But he's totally safe. It's already gone into its third printing, and it hasn't even come out yet. Like, it's coming out today. So I think he's pretty safe. He's going like to be just fine. He's going to be just fine. Um, I love this book so much, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> we talk about it all the time. Like, we had to be like, <laughs> let's not mention it for a few episodes because we just talk about it all the time. And now It's here. And it's wonderful, it's epic, it's awesome, it's fantastic, it's full of secrets, so I'm gonna try not to reveal any. Um, basically it's about a woman named Liliette Byrne. She is a legendary soprano in the Paris Opera, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you like how it opens. She's like at a party. She goes, It's not just a party, it's like a fancy ball, and you know, everyone's gorgeous and fabulous and dancing and all the stuff is going on. And she's approached by an author who starts telling her about his book that he wants to turn into an opera for her. Um, Now, getting your own opera like written specifically for your own voice is like the dream of every opera singer, and she's never had this happen before, but as he's telling her about this novel, she knows that what he's explaining to her is a part of her life, like a story from her life that was a secret for a very long time. And there's only four people who know that secret. One of them she loved, one of them owned her, one of them is dead, and the other one she hopes never thinks of her at all. So you go through this book, and she goes in search of these people, like finding out like who could have spilled her secret. Um, you know, I'm not gonna tell you anything that wasn't on the back of the book, really. But she started out as an orphan in America, and she ends up in Paris, where she is first a hippodrome rider, and then a courtesan. She's a maid to the Empress, and. So she has all these things, but eventually she ends up this legendary singer that nobody really knows her background except for these people. Um, it's so beautiful and sad and funny and super sexy, and it has fabulous costume changes. I just loved his description of, of the clothes that they wore. And basically, it's like reading an opera. It's just, you know, full of drama, and it's amazing. And I know you loved it, too. Did you want to add anything? I did.
1: I loved it so much. I read it i five or six months ago when I was on vacation and I've been waiting now for this day. Also it's kind of the platonic ideal of a novel reading experience. Like it's big and it's sweeping and you move back and forth in different periods of time, almost seamlessly. And there's a core question to figure out. And there's not a lot of like red herring stuff. Uh, Alex is not trying to confuse readers or make you think it's like this thing when it's really this other thing. It's this just like gentle, perfectly paced unfurling of her life story as you put together in your head, like who all of the players are and who is doing this thing to her, who revealed the secret and how did it come about and what happened in her life and all of the spaces in between. It's just delicious. It's so, it's just so good. I think probably that is by far like that's the best fiction reading experience I had in 2015 since I read it early. It's going to be one of the biggest, best books of 2016. And it's also worth mentioning it is just a beautiful book as an object. Like, oh, the, it's gorgeous. The cover on the galley is very striking. This woman in a mask in a big opera dress. Um, and I got a hard copy recently and it is just even more beautiful. The spine is perfect. like it's Covered in flowers. It's so, like, everything about this book is so good. There's such a perfect level of care and attention to detail in the writing and also in the book as object. Um, if you are going to treat yourself to like one fancy expensive hardcover this year, this is the one that I have seen so far. It's just such a, it's such a treat. It's such a perfect novel. Um, I had no complaints about it.
0: I think part of it is, is the attention to detail and the care that he took with it. I mean, he took, oh, I think 13 or 14 yeah. years writing this and it was actually, uh, slated to come out in 2013. And then he found out this fact about two of uh, the people from history who are also characters in the book and decided that he, he pulled the book and wanted to go back and change it so that it reflected, you know, these things that he had learned. And he just spent so much time on it and it really paid off. I mean, it's it's perfect.
1: It is perfect. And sometimes we hear about authors working on novels for that long and then you get the novel and it feels Overworked, and this is the opposite of that. This feels refined and so well thought out, and just every detail is in the place that the detail needs to be. Every word is in the right place, nothing is extraneous. It's a big book that's you know relatively long, and it's long for a reason. Um, all of those pages really do need to be there. It's just so good. It's this like luscious sink into it i know it feels kind of like i mean maybe i'm just having sense memories from my vacation but it felt like sinking into like a big down comforter with a delicious glass of wine and being like oh this is perfect it's just so good uh so yay alex chi queen of the night
0: queen of the night i will talk about it some more if you want to talk about it later (laughs) um but now well, you're going to say things yeah
1: well there's always our best books of the year so far episode to look forward to in june
0: oh i'm gonna fight and scratch eyes <laughs>
1: um before i get to my first pick we have to thank our first sponsor this week Feverborn by karen marie moaning is back it may be winter but things are heating up uh literally in richmond it's 69 degrees today um but in this new book in the Epic Fever series by Karen Marie Moaning, we are revisiting characters Mac, Barons, Riordan, and Jada. The stakes for them have never been higher or the chemistry hotter. This story hurdles us into a realm of labyrinthine, intrigue, and consummate seduction. Uh, Feverborn is a riveting tale of ancient evil, lust, betrayal, forgiveness, and the redemptive power of love. It's set in Dublin, and in the Dublin of Feverborn, Dublin was once a normal city that possessed a touch of ancient magic but now it is treacherously magical and has only a touch of the normal. On the war-torn streets, Mac will come face-to-face with her most savage enemy yet. Herself. Karen Marie Moning is a number one New York Times bestselling author. Her fellow number one New York Times bestselling author, Sylvia Day, says no one does it better. You can read Feverborn, the exciting new book, in the Epic Fever series now, or visit Feverbornbook.com to learn more. We'll also have a link for you in the show notes. Uh, so thanks to Feverborn and Karen Marie Moning. And now my first pick is exquisite and exquisitely sad. Um some of my, yeah, this book is my first entry, I think, into the um, five out of five Kleenex rating, the tissue ratings that we introduced on your uh, thematically sad show a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's The Iceberg by Marion Um, She was married to the chief art critic for The Independent uh, in Great Britain, and he was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2008. Uh, so this is a man whose life was about words, um, taking an experience of looking at art and understanding an artist's intent and then processing it verbally and writing it down. Um, When he was diagnosed with the brain tumor, it was already very advanced. And she chronicles their journey um, through his illness as his... Language, his ability to express himself deteriorates alongside their toddler son, who was two years old when he was diagnosed, as his language is developing. It's this very striking contrast that exists in their lives. Um, so, this book is. Uh, Marion Coots' memoir of those years uh, that her husband dealt with a brain tumor and ultimately the years that led up to his death. And it also contains emails from those years that she sent to the group of family and friends that they wanted around them and wanted to keep posted. It, you know, from the start, was too much to try to inform everybody in separate conversations of all the developments. And so they basically just created a list serve of you are the people that are going to receive um, updates from us and we hope that you will surround us with your love and your presence and that you'll cook meals for us and spend time with us. And so we get to see... Those emails, Um, we get to see the struggle that Marian and her husband Tom experience continuing to try to just be present for each other and continuing to communicate and understand each other as his ability to express himself goes away. Um, He tells her at one point that all of the words and the feelings and the things he wants to say are clear in his head, but he just can't get them out of his mouth, so she knows that he is in there and in the midst of all the doctor's appointments and all of the paperwork to be done and all of the social workers who are coming to the house and you know, all of the stresses of that experience, she wants to continue to be his wife, to be his partner and for them to raise their child together. Um, and she addresses really beautifully this sort of unsquarable fact that you can be in the midst of tragedy of knowing that your family is falling apart of knowing that you're losing someone but you can also be happy that they feel together that they have beautiful moments Um, and what it's like to try to hold those two in her mind at the same time Um, it is heartbreaking and it's tender and it's sad and it's inspiring Um, I think we'd all do well to strive to be this kind of person for our loved ones when illness and tragedy inevitably come to a family or to a partnership. It's, man, it's like I've, I'm have i nearing the, I, I couldn't quite finish the book last night. I was going to have it finished in time for the show, but I kept having to like put it down and take deep breaths and try not to just bawl all over it. I'm nearing the end and I'm afraid of what these last couple pages are going to contain, but it's been a really remarkable reading experience. Um, so that is The Iceberg by marion coots c-o-u-t-t-s
0: i'm getting a little teared up just thinking about it i know bob was like
1: what why are you are you okay and i was like it's my book but i can't talk about it or i'm
0: gonna be a disaster yeah oh that sounds lovely it's really good it's so sad but very good i kind of forgot what we were doing i was just listening to you talk about books and oh. I'm like, la, la, la. oh it's me it's you what's up <laughs> next Up next is a fabulous debut. It is called Sweet Girl. One word, Sweet Girl by Travis Mulhauser. This is his first novel and it's fabulous. Um, It caught my eye because it is compared to Charles Portis and Dennis Johnson, who are Mm. my wheelhouse, basically. Um, It also reminded me a lot of Donald Ray Pollock, if you've read him, but not as messed up as he is. If you've never read Donald Ray Pollock and you like to read really messed up things that are written fabulously, uh, he's the way to go. But back to Travis Mulhauser. Uh Sweet Girl is about a 16-year-old girl named Percy who's living in Michigan. Uh, she is a high school dropout. Her mother is a meth head. Um, she works to sort of support them uh, while her mother goes in and out of sobriety. She ha- uh, Percy has an older sister named Star who had a falling out with her mother and has moved away is kind of doing really well for herself, lives in Portland, Oregon, has had a baby, and she wants Percy to come live with her, but Percy doesn't want to leave her mother. Um, her mother gets sober for a long time, but then she she falls off the wagon, and Percy doesn't mention it to her sister. She doesn't want her to know that you know she's she's been using meth again. Um, and so it, it opens with Percy's mother having been missing for nine days, and she finds out where her mother is. She is shacked up with the local psychopathic meth dealer, of course. His name is Shelton. Um, he's like the nephew of the the big town's big bad. Um, he's not very mentally stable. He's kind of a well, psychopath, really. Um, so Percy goes to look for her mother. In the meantime, there's a giant snowstorm coming because, of course. Uh, so she drives her truck to Shelton's house to look for her mom. She gets stuck in the snow. When she gets there, she does not find her mother. She finds some people passed out, and she also finds a baby in a crib by a window the windows open the baby's covered in snow she's she's crying so percy decides she doesn't find her mother but she decides to take this baby because she can't leave this baby here with these people she's like this is neglect and horrible and she wants to take the baby and bring it to a hospital but of course there's a giant snowstorm so she her truck is stuck and so she walks to uh her mother's ex-boyfriend's house who was the closest thing that she ever had to a father percy never knew her father um, and they go out into this giant blizzard and try to make their way to the hospital, you know, walking on foot while Shelton realizes the baby has been taken. He sends his goons out after them. Um, it's very intense, just like, who's going to make it through the snow? Who's going to get there first? You know, it's it's a horrible blizzard. And it's it's really wonderful, you know, and, and Percy has to make these decisions, like, you know, d- what does she do for this baby? You know, while her mother, like, her mother could be anywhere in this snowstorm you know, like, what choice is she going to make? Is she going to keep looking for her mom, or is she going to go with this baby? Um, it's it's really fantastic. It's it's really, really great. Um, you know, it has, like, your crazy racist drug dealers, and, you know, your very wise, you know, sort of Midwesterners, and I just absolutely loved it. Also, I'd like to buy Travis Mulhauser a beer sometime because he also agrees that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is nothing until Warren Zevon is in it. <laughs> Like, every year I'm like, whatever. No Warrens, Yvonne, doesn't count. Maybe so, he'll be at Book Expo and yeah. you can take him out. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's, re- it's really good. I, I just, I really enjoyed it. It's a really great first novel. And, again, it is called Sweet Girl, all one word, uh, by Travis M- Mollhouser.
1: Uh, more from the land of awesome debuts and also stories about painful things in humanity. Uh, my next pick is beasts and children stories by Amy Parker. Um, at one point in this collection, one of the characters tells uh, or writes a letter to her child who's yet to be born and says something like you will be human and it will hurt. Um, and I think that sums up nicely what happens in these stories, but in this really perfect way, I don't know. I love reading stuff about how life is messy and difficult and things that feel true and, um, and that don't have happy endings. Um, the stories in this collection are about three different families that we meet in very different settings. Um and ultimately, the characters show up in each other's lives. But kind of on the periphery, um it's a linked short story collection, but like, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I'm not even sure I would really describe it that way. The ways that they are linked are not. um, super integral anyway that's beside the point uh, these stories are they're raw they're honest about the pain of childhood um, Amy Parker really goes after that notion that childhood is just this like sunny Rosy wonderful time in everyone's lives and that it's a thing to be nostalgic about and uh, gets into the heads of her child characters and presents you know they one of one of them sees uh, their parent they see their parents die they see their parents have affairs one of them is kind of dragged across the country by his mother, um, who is impossibly unstable, definitely a little on the crazy side, and how that is going to affect him for the rest of his life. We get to see him as an adult in another story. And so that connecting of um, childhood and adult, sort of childhood traumatic experiences and emotional development, and then where these people end up as adults is also very interesting. Um, It's about the difficulty of parenting. There are mothers in these stories who talk um, to the people that they know about their struggles to raise children and to supposedly love this thing about um, bringing the next generation up that's also supposed to be seen through rose-colored glasses. Um, They're about the ways that family members hurt and damage each other. And they're also, each story contains something that's going on with animals as as well, so thus the title Beasts and Children, Um, the ways that our relationships with animals or to animals, I think is technically the correct way to say it, um, reflect things about our own humanity, the ways that animals teach us things, about our own humanity and sort of the utility in some ways of thinking of humans as just another kind of animal. Um, It's really unflinching and the the writing is so good. Um, I find myself underlining in nonfiction a lot more often because like there are facts to be remembered or also um, people make really you know clear statements about their lives but I underlined a ton in these stories. It reminded me a lot of Birds of a Lesser Paradise by Megan Mayhew Bergman which is one of my favorite short story collections. Um, Maybe also some touches of like V. Watkins or um oh who else like if Terry Tempest Williams wrote a short story collection it might be kind of like this <laughs> like if 30 year old Terry Tempest Williams back in time wrote a short story <laughs> collection Um, it's really interesting and great Um, and I did enjoy seeing the threads pick up like the most rewarding part about the links between the short stories is getting like the mention where one of the main characters of a story mentions that they happen to know this character from a different story and you're at a different point in time so you pick up some more information about what happened to that character later on Um, so again that collection is Beasts and Children Stories by Amy Parker
0: I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time with words today. Like, I think I got so excited about the Queen of the Night that I just ride a bunch of my synapses. And now it's just like, no, I have to continue to say words, but it's not working. My brain's like... La,
1: la, la. We probably should have just planned a half hour show about Queen of the Night.
0: Oh, well, there's so many other great things to talk about, but I That's can't true. seem to word well. I'm just like... <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So.
1: All right. Knock out your next one. You Yay. can do it.
0: Okay. My next one is called The Vegetarian. By Han Kang. Uh, it's translated by Deborah Smith. Now, if you like your fiction really weird and messed up, like really weird and messed up, this is the book for you. Uh, it takes place in South Korea, remembering that that's the country that also gave us Old Boy, which is really weird and messed up, which I love. Um, it's it, this book. Oh, did I say the. Yes, I said the yes. author's name. I was like, wait, you did I say it? I didn't say it. Uh You're doing it's about all the things. <laughs> it's about a woman named Young Hai. And the first section is narrated by her husband, who is a total cad and loser. Um, it, if it was narrated by her husband and we were supposed to believe, like, we were supposed to feel sympathy for him, I, I don't think I would enjoy the book, but I realize, like, he's just an awful person and he's telling us about this poor woman. Uh, one day he comes home from work and he finds his wife standing in front of the fridge. And he's like, what, what are you doing? And she's like, I had a dream, and that's all I can get her to say. And hmm. the next day he gets up and, and she's on the floor and she's pulled all of the meat products... Out of the fridge. And he's like, what? What are you doing? And, and she, she wants to throw them out. She doesn't want them in the house anymore. No meat in the house. It's all because of this horrible dream that she had. You know, and he's yelling at her. And, you know, it's all this money and all this stuff. And and it just goes from there. Like, he's, she starts behaving very strangely. And he's really tired of eating vegetables. Like, she stops serving meat to him as well at meals. And she keeps telling him, you know, I had this dream. And, and he's getting really frustrated. So he thinks, like, having her eat with her parents will straighten her out. Because... But... It doesn't work at all, and her parents are very frustrated, you know, partly because of culture. Like, they don't understand not wanting to eat meat, and her parents are really ashamed, and they feel, like, personally insulted that they've done something wrong because she won't eat meat, and they, like, try to force her to eat it, and it, she just talks about these dreams that she has, like, in between, like, the narration, which are really messed up, and it's super creepy, and it just gets more weird and strange from there, um... They, they, because she doesn't want to eat meat, basically they think she's mentally unstable, which is just, you know, (laughs) luckily for me, I live here, so that, you know, I don't have to worry about that, otherwise a lot of people would be considered mentally unstable, um, but it's just, like, these things happen, like, I don't want to give anything away, but, like, something happens and you're like, well, what does that, put? oh, that's what that is going to happen, that's horrible, and it's so messed up um but i love it the writing is incredible i mean you're just like reading and you're like oh my goodness what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen oh that's so gross what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen next that's so gross oh and yeah so i think i've said all the weird words about it that i can but again it's called the vegetarian and it's by han kang Excellent.
1: Uh, Before my next pick, it's time for our second sponsor. Third Love is back this week, and I'm going to motion that we officially change the title of this show to All the Boobs, yeah, uh, because that's where we are. Third Love makes excellent lingerie. Their t-shirt bra, it's called the 24-7 t-shirt bra, I can now tell you officially, is the most comfortable bra that I have ever owned. Um, Liberty got a sample one, and we've talked about that on the last couple episodes. I know she'll have some words to say about it uh, later on in just a minute, but I got so excited reading the notes about it and hearing Liberty's experiences, and then some of y'all who listen to the show have told us that you ordered the bra and have tried it for yourselves, that I bought one. Um, It's smoothing, it's invisible under every outfit. And the cups are made out of memory foam, but they're not padded. And we've been like talking about how does it work? It's a miracle. It is a miracle. Um, It molds to your shape to give you the perfect fit. It's okay. This bra is so comfortable. I said last week that I had just gotten, recently I got sized and discovered that I was wearing the wrong bra size like for years. And so getting into the right size bra was revolutionary. And so I ordered the third love bra in my correct size. Um, the straps don't slip the tag, um, or the, the hook and eye part is foam padded and it's tagless. So there's nothing to like wrestle with or tuck down. It's very comfortable. It doesn't dig into you. Um, there is no cup spillage. There's no gaping. It's perfect. And it does like it learns your shape. And then the cups are more every time you put it on, the cups are more in the shape of your own breasts than they were the previous time. It's kind of incredible. Um I've it's worn your own it with boom, force field. <laughs> it is. I've been wearing it with t-shirts and tank tops. I wore it with a dress this weekend. It's just, it's so comfortable. And I like I feel like, you know, when you're at a kid's birthday party, there's always that one little girl who's running around flipping her skirt up, like showing everyone her underwear. I want to be that little girl, but of bras. Like, it's so good. I just want to walk around to everyone I know and be like, look at this amazing bra. Like, let's talk about how great it is. Or I see women at the gym and I can tell now that their bra doesn't fit properly. And I'm going to be like, there's another way. Oh, goodness. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't really want to show my like, to people on the street yet. You know, I don't want to scar anyone irreparably.
1: But well, but when they're all wrangled in, it's wonderful. Oh,
0: I I can't stress enough like how comfortable it is. Like the you know I'm I think busty would be a polite way of saying it. Um, and so the bras that I wear I feel like they've been designed by boy constrictors. I mean, they just squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and they hurt and ladies, I know you're with me. Like if you could bottle that feeling of taking your broth at the end of the day and sell it, you would make a bazillion dollars because it is the best feeling in the world when you've been squeezed all day and you get to take your broth. But like, this isn't like that at all. It's just so nice and comfortable and soft. And yeah, I just absolutely love it. Like it's, I don't even notice I have it on, which is good because I usually am like, like I said, being squeezed, you know, I would go without one if I could, but I can't. So, this is the next best thing. It's it's so comfortable. I'm definitely going to get more. Like I'm going to follow them wherever they go. I'm I'm definitely planning on getting more. If they yeah. were like, "We're going to design them now with the person the face of the person who's meanest to you in junior high." I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, "All right, that's yes. fine. I I'll still do it. That's fine because they're so comfortable." And they have lots of other styles.
1: If you're into lacy, they've got lacy. Um, they have panties. So if you want to do matching sets, Third Love has tons of stuff. But they stand behind the 24-7 t-shirt bra so much that they're going to let listeners of all the books try it for free. Here's how it works. You pay $1 for shipping. You wear the bra for 30 days. So that means you take the tags off. You wear it to do all the normal life things that you normally do. You wash it. You wear it again to make sure that it you know, survives the washing and keeps its shape and does all of those things. If you love it, you keep it they'll charge your card for it if you don't love it you send it back for free and your card will not be charged if you don't know your size or you're not sure you know your size there's an online fit specialist who will help you find the perfect fit so just go to thirdlove.com books to get started again you'll just pay your one dollar for shipping you get your free 30-day trial offer of their 24 7 t-shirt bra and then you too can join our new cult of bra loving happiness so thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Thank we're gonna you. we're gonna run out of boob jokes. eventually. I'm so
0: glad that you got one because <laughs> I, I was like I'm I'm out of boob jokes and, and so my boyfriend's like well I'll help you write something and I was like I don't think that this is a road that we want to go down. Like <laughs> stay in your own lane. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think you want to help me write jokes about my breasts because this it can only end horribly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, this is, I'm going to stop you right there. He's like I'm right. just trying to help. I'm like I know I appreciate it. <laughs> right. thanks for the supportiveness, but no.
1: Um, My next pick this week is an anthology that I'm so excited about. It's called The V Word, True Stories About First-Time Sex. It's edited by Amber J. Kaiser, and two of Book Riot's own have contributed to it. Kelly Jensen, who is one of our associate editors, and Justina Ireland is a Book Riot contributor. They are just two of the many women who submitted essays for this collection that is all about women's first-time sexual experiences. Um, It rejects the notion that virginity is this magical, objective Thing that you lose, or a flower that you give to someone, and looks at what the reality of first experiences are. So some of these stories are about meaningful experiences. Some are rather meaningless. Some are ecstatic. Some are disappointing. Some are sweet, and some are sexy, and some are just kind of a thing that happens. Um, this. Collection really looks at the fact that first sexual experiences are as varied as humans are. They can be whatever we want them to be. Sometimes they occur when we don't want them to occur and what that might be like as well. And Kaiser sort of laces all of the pieces together with commentary in between each piece um, to sort of point out the point, to, to point out the point isn't that articulate, um, to point to what she's really trying to express with the whole anthology, which is intended for teenage readers. And um, so there's a little bit of sort of directed reading about here's what we want you to get out of the next piece. Um, but. All of them come together to illustrate the fact that sex is a way that we discover and express ourselves, and um, that it's an important part of life and that we can shape those experiences, but also uh, that your first sexual experience is not like, it doesn't have to be a defining thing that controls the direction of the rest of your life. It might not even be something you remember very well later on because it just sort of happened or it could be very meaningful and important that full spectrum rather than just like the rose petal covered bedspread that 17 magazine used to try to sell us as the ideal when I was a teenager um, is covered here. I'm super jealous that this book exists for today's adolescence. I wish that I had read something like this, rather than all of those perfect losing your virginity stories that I read in teen magazines when I was a kid. Um, If you have a teenager, if you work with teenagers, if you are a teenager, and you're thinking about um, what your first sexual experience might be like, or what you want it to be like, um, or you just want to, you know, expand the way that you think about sexuality, I can't recommend it enough. Again, it's called The V Word, True Stories About First-Time Sex, and it's edited by amber j kaiser
0: now this if i had known about that this i could have made a lot of jokes about <laughs> i got lots of jokes oh moving on <laughs> to something much more exciting than my first time uh, dead presidents um it, I, the next book i'm going to talk about is called dead presidents an american adventure into the strange deaths and surprising afterlives of our nation's leaders by brady carlson that was a mouthful this is the most you book I've ever heard you pick. I I am not that into politics, but I love presidential trivia. Like I always have since I was little. As does Brady Carlson. He talks about how, uh, when he was very small, he was really into presidential trivia so much so that he got the teacher to give him the entire afternoon to like talk about presidents to his classmates who couldn't have cared less. But he was like having the best time. Um, and then his parents took him to the to see Lincoln's uh, grave, and it was kind of like this this awakening for him because he realized like. Here's this historical moment that could make him. He could become a politician. It could be really important to him. But then he also realized that the the coffin that he was looking at did not contain the body of the president because he was buried 13 feet below that because someone tried to steal his body at one time. What? And then he realized, like, the absurdity of being the president and all, like, the weirdness that comes along with it. And even when you're dead, you know, you still have people being insane. Um, and, and so it's just really interesting tribute like if you love history this is the book for you it's full of crazy little things um he goes to a lot of sites he talks about like you know why presidents in how in different like uh places that are named after them i'm not speaking very well here Uh, he talks about like all the different places that that have presidents um names attached to them like monuments and cities and towns Mm. and parks and buildings and various other things um, he talks about, you know, the first chapter is of course about Washington because he was the first president. He was also our first dead president, um, which didn't have to happen that way. It just sort of did. Um, he, some of the chapters are about like well-timed exits, uh, presidential obscurity and mediocrity. He talks about Franklin Pierce in that chapter who I happen to think was like the worst president we've ever had. I've read a lot of books, uh, about the civil war and, uh, the time right before it. And he, Franklin Pierce was a pretty rotten president. He's pretty bad. He talks about the changing reputations of presidents. How some of them didn't weren't that great, and now we think they're so fabulous. And some of them were actually really effective, and now we're like, eh, who who are we talking about? He there's a chapter about presidential libraries, um, about death trips, uh, where they showed the president's body, like the different journeys they went on, like Lincoln and and all that after they died. Um, and includes presidential funerals. There's a chapter about presidential doctors, some of the great ones, and then some of like the really bad ones. Including Zachary Taylor's doctor, like Zachary Taylor had been shot, and he probably would have survived if his doctor hadn't stuck his finger in <laughs> the, in the wound, and oh, like yeah, that inf- sounds like a great infected idea. it, and he got you know very sick and he died, so it's just <laughs> full of like crazy stuff like that, and there's also this really I'm trying to open the book now and find it, and I won't be able to but there's this really great quote um that says, "Being president is like running a cemetery. you've got a lot of people under you, and nobody's listening. It's- <laughs> The bill clinton quote which i just absolutely <laughs> loved um so again it is called dead presidents by brady carlson
1: that sounds awesome
0: it's so great so my, great
1: my last pick this week is the paperback release of a novel i really loved last year it's called find me by laura vandenberg Woo-hoo! she wrote my as i've said a million times on this show all-time favorite short story collection what the world will look like when all the water leaves us and this was her first novel uh it's Um, about a woman named Joy who works the graveyard shift at a grocery store. She is dealing with an addiction to cough syrup. She's not really trying to kick it. She just has the habit. Uh, Joy's life is not really going anywhere. Then this illness starts sweeping the nation that begins with people losing their memories and ultimately they die. Um, And it seems to happen to almost everyone. But Joy is immune and she, along with a bunch of other people who appear to be immune uh, is invited to live at a hospital in the middle of, in like central, not Central America, in middle America, um, right in the Midwest, um, to live at this hospital where supposedly research is being done to identify like what made these people immune and could it be used to treat the people before they come down with it in the rest of the world or could it be used to prevent anyone else um, from getting this illness. But the doctors and nurses in this hospital are not actually doctors and nurses and there are weird things that are going on. And eventually Joy sees a video online that she discovers the woman in the video is her birth mother. And Joy finds a way to break free from this hospital where weird things are happening and go on a journey from Kansas to Florida to try to find her mother. Um, so we spend time in the hospital, which is just a fascinating sort of dystopian setup. And then we get to go with her for, on that journey to Florida as she is seeing what the country looks like. Um, after most of the people have died, um, seeing what these abandoned places look like, thinking about her own life and thinking about, you know, sort of death and destruction and then ultimately trying to find her mother. Um, It's haunting. It's really wonderful and strange. I really just love the way that Laura Vandenberg's Brain Works would make a really interesting, fun book club pick, I think. Um, And if you've read Blindness by Jose Saramago, there were some interesting sort of homages and overlapping elements to those stories, I think, um, that would make it fun to talk about. So again, that's Find Me by laura vandenberg and that is our very chatty uh, (laughs) show this week of new books what are you gonna read now
0: i finally finally got my hands on a copy of cat country by lao Shi. it's a a classic it's published by penguin modern classics which i had never heard of and, and i heard about it had to have it immediately it the back of it says, when a traveler from China crash lands on Mars, he finds himself in a country inhabited entirely by cat people. <laughs> Befriended by a local cat man, he becomes acquainted with all aspects of cat life. He learns to speak felineese, masters cat poetry, and appreciates the narcotic effects of the reverie leaf, their food staple. <laughs> what? Right? Like, how I awesome take it is back. this? This is the most new <laughs> book ever. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty excited. When I-, I don't know how I hadn't heard about it before, but... They just reissued it and I was like, Yes, please. What are you gonna read? Okay, I'm gonna read maybe the most me book ever. It's called
1: Exposure. A sociologist explores sex, society, and adult entertainment. It's by Dr. Chantel Tibbles and it's a sociological look at porn and the porn industry and the significance of porn in US culture.
0: I'm just laughing at Tibbles. I'm really sorry I immature <laughs> back. That's a great name. <laughs>
1: The cover is awesome. I think this book and come as you are should be buddies because come as you are is hot pink and has that coin purse on the front. Yeah. And uh, this book is also hot pink and has a half unpeeled banana. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> like if you shelve them together, they definitely will make baby books. Uh, <laughs> Um, that is our show for the day. Thanks again to our sponsors, Feverborn by Karen Marie Moning. You can go to FeverbornBook.com to learn more, or check out the link in our show notes. And also to Third Love, go to ThirdLove.com/books to begin your free 30-day trial with the 24/7 T-shirt bra and join our coven of um, happy boob ladies. Uh, drop us a line if you have any, you know, thoughts, feedback, questions for us at all the books at BookRiot.com, or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y you can find liberty at miss liberty and as always if you like the show and you want to give us a little happy internet gift if you would take a minute to rate or review it on itunes that lets us know how we're doing but it really serves to juice the itunes algorithm and help other people who are looking for book related shows to find their way to all the books which of course uh, gives us more happy book people to talk to
0: and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And stay tuned next week when I get a restraining order from Alexander Chee. <laughs> in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.